You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. I adjusted our preaching schedule a bit. I know uh, I've announced that we're going to do the book of Acts, and we are, uh, but uh, after we finish Daniel, but it occurred to me as we're coming into the summer, uh, a lot of us are coming and going, including me, and um, I, I didn't want to start into Acts and then have to, to, to break it up. So it seemed to me that summer provided a good opportunity for uh, a, a mini-series at, at this point, um, just four, four Sundays, uh, on the vision and the mission of, of New Life Presbyterian Church. You know, we are th- hopefully mer- emerging into a post-pandemic world now. We have a lot of new people here, uh, and it's good to, to, to sort of go back and go and, and say, you know, what are we about? You know, what's, what, 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 what's our, what are our goals? Why do we exist? What do we do, and why do we do it? Um, so I'm going to talk about the vision today, our vision, which uh, uh, is, as, as James said, to present everyone mature in Christ. The next uh, three Sundays will be on the three aspects uh, of our mission, right? How we, how we are going to get to the vision. Um, I think of vision as sort of an aspirational goal. What do we hope to happen in the future? Um, what we hope to happen is that we can present everyone mature in Christ. Now, we didn't invent that vision. It comes right out of the Bible. Uh, it's, uh, in from, it's in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, and we're just going to read two verses. If you're able, would you please stand with me uh, as I read our text. Colossians 1, 28 and 29. This is God's word. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he, God, powerfully works within me. This is God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, um, we want to be a church here at New Life that walks in your paths of righteousness, that, that pleases you, that accomplishes uh, your work here and around the world. So help us to understand and live out what it means to present every person mature, complete in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In his book uh, titled Run with the Horses, uh, the late theologian Eugene Peterson uh, sagely wrote, there is little to admire and less to imitate in the people who are prominent in our culture. Um, I I, I venture to say that's a true statement. Uh, Little to admire and less to imitate in the people who are prominent in our culture. Uh, We see it, right? Politicians on both sides of the aisle continue to disappoint with character flaws. Athletes are 
petulant and spoiled celebrities uh, live their lives on social media and seem to compete uh, to see who can be most trivial, most crass. Um, and, you know, and it descends down into the regular people like us, right? The not prominent people, right? So many of us seem to be living bored, aimless uh, lives, uh, amusing ourselves in, in virtual gaming worlds or on, online social, uh, online virtual communities or pornography. One result that we're seeing uh, of this phenomenon is that um, people who live these trivial, aimless lives uh, are deciding to engage in not trivial evil, right? In order perversely to 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 give some uh, significance uh, to their lives, some recognition uh, to them, like the young man who just killed seven people in the Highland Park Fourth of July parade. One of some 60 mass shootings in the last month. But Eugene Peterson also noted that despite the shallowness and the triviality of so much of our culture, that there, that there, is, there persists in all of us a, a deep longing for wholeness, right, for, for uh, lives that matter, the lives that make the world a better place, right, to, to have a fulfilling, meaningful life. Uh, that's, that, that's not a Christian thing, that's a, that's, a, that's a human heart thing. Where Christians differ from those who are not Christians is, is where that wholeness comes from. Right? As Christians, we insist that this world and all that is in it, including each one of you, uh, is, you know, are created entities, right? which means, of course, that there is a creator to whom we are accountable and to whom we must serve by virtue of him being the creator. So if, if that's true... Uh, as we insist it is, that this is a created world, that there is a, a creator God, then it's logical to think that wholeness in our lives, uh, as human beings made in the image of that creator, it would be found in, if, as we live in sync with the creator, right? In relationship to him. Only makes sense. Now, uh, if you're here and you are not a Christian, and we're thankful that you're here. It, it, you might, you might uh, uh, believe that there is no creator, that, that there is no God. Um, and, you know, you really have to think through the ramifications of, of that conclusion, right? We, we say as Christians that there is a creator, that, the, that, that we are the products of his, his design and his plan, his will. Uh, but if, if, if the universe arose from uh, natural processes, 
right? Impersonal natural processes. Then ultimately, all our lives, your life, is an accident. Uh, You know, there's no real significance to it. You're, you're, You're a product of an impersonal process. Now, you might push back and say, well, no, I can create meaning... Uh, in, 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 in life, I can create meaning through love. I can give my life meaning as I, as I love uh, uh, others, love another person. But look at, again, in, in, in a world that, where, where th- that comes, comes uh, t- together by, r- you know, random processes, um, uh, th- love is, is, is a neutral chemical reaction, something that persists in the human race as a product of natural selection to perpetuate the, the species. It's very romantic, right? Um, listen, for life to matter, for, for life to have real meaning, for life to be whole and fulfilling, uh, human beings must be in sink in relationship with the living God. And that happens through faith in his son, the son he sent into our world. Comes through living by faith in Jesus. And that's why the vision of new life is, we, we take from, from Colossians here, is to present every person mature or complete, or as some of your translations may say, perfect, in Christ, in Christ. So I want to look at that, this text today, verses 28 and 29, uh, and kind of unpack it and point out four truths here that I hope will help us get our, our minds around what our vision is and why it matters and, and what, what it all means, okay? To present everyone mature in Christ. So as I look at verse 28, the first truth that emerges is this. We exist for every person. Or to say it another way, at New Life Presbyterian Church, there are no unimportant people. Um, There are no unimportant people, period. Right? Verse 28, right? Three times in, in one verse... Paul says everyone, warning everyone, teaching everyone, presenting everyone mature in Christ. You know, if you've been here at New Life, that in the Hebrew mind, the Hebrew way of speaking, which Paul was a master at, that that repetition was a way of of putting an exclamation point. Paul is, 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 is communicating that every person, Matters. Every person is important. Two implications of this, right? This means, number one, that there is no religious caste system uh, at New Life Church. That there isn't some subset of New Life Church, some subset of the, of the, of the people of New Life where, who are going to be the really spiritual people, right? The really mature people. Uh, no. Every person, every single person at New Life is on the same track, moving toward the same uh, completeness. The second implication 
is that it doesn't, it means that at new life, we don't pull up the ladder. You know what I mean? Uh, there's a temptation to do that, isn't it? Um, we, we, um, yeah, C.S. Lewis called it the, 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 uh, the pull toward the, uh, the inner ring. Right? We, we're tempted to, to go in, to, to be a part of the inner ring. So we come to new life, we, we get included, and there's something wonderful and attractive about being included, right? We're in. And, and part of the, you know, perversely, part of the, the beauty of being in is that you can now exclude others. <laughs> right? Uh, oh, we've got such a great community. Let's, let's freeze everything. And, and, you know, leave it like it is. Pull up the ladders. Nobody else. Uh, no, we don't do that, right? Um, new life excludes no one. You know, we exist for every believer that is here, but we also exist for the unbelievers that are here today and for the unbelievers that are out there. That Jesus loves, that Jesus is calling. That Jesus is, is saving. And he's using you and me to do that. Right. So our, this vision to present everyone mature in Christ isn't just talking about you, but all those out there to whom we go. To whom Jesus has commanded us to go and bring in. Right. So our vision... To present everyone mature in Christ means that new life will never be what some churches become, which is an exclusive social club. We will never be that. If we become that, fire me. Please. That's truth number one. We exist for every person. Truth number two. We proclaim a person. Right? You know, we didn't read it, but in the run-up, verses 28 and 29, Paul says some, some interesting phrases here. In verse 23, he mentions the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed. Okay, the gospel which you heard that has been proclaimed. Then again in verse 23, he mentions the faith. And then in verse 25, he, he talks about the word of God. His mission, he, Paul says, was to make the word of God fully known. And then in verse 26, he talks about the mystery. The mystery hidden for ages, uh, but now revealed to the saints. And then, now in verse 28, he takes all of those phrases and summarizes them in one word. Him. Him. Him we proclaim. Right? It all comes down to Jesus. And that, if you're a new life, that ought not to be a surprise. It all comes down to Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the faith. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the ancient mystery that has now been revealed to planet Earth. And what that means, of course, is that at the heart of Christianity is not a philosophy, is not a, a, a body of teaching, is not law, not rules, not ethics. 
Are those part of Christianity? Absolutely. But they're not at the center. At the center of Christianity is a person, Jesus Christ, the God-man, the Son of God, the once and future King. And Christianity is ultimately about being in a reconciled relationship with God through faith in the, in the crucified and risen King, Jesus. Okay. And that gets us to truth number three. So, we exist for every person. We, we proclaim a person, Jesus Christ. Truth number three, we are fish out of water. Apart from Jesus Christ. You know, after Paul says him we proclaim in, in, 20, in verse 28, he says, he kind of unpacks what he means by proclaim, right? He, he says, we proclaim Jesus by, uh, why, by warning everyone, right? And by teaching everyone in wisdom, wisely, for the purpose of presenting uh, everyone mature uh, or complete in Christ. I, I want to break that down a bit. Let me take the last two words, in Christ, that phrase, in Christ. Um, that's how Paul talked about Christians. He didn't use the word Christian. That hadn't really come into wide use uh, in, in Paul's day. Um, he said in Christ. So what a person we would call a Christian, Paul would say that person is in Christ, which is actually, I actually kind of like that better. Christian has become sort of hackneyed, at least in our culture. Uh, but to identify a person as being in Christ actually kind of gives expression to what's really going on, right? That as you believe in, as you trust your life to Jesus... You, you are really and spiritually grafted into him. Like, like the vine into the branch, right? You're, you're grafted into Jesus himself so that, and, and this is the wonderful truth of the gospel, that what is true of Jesus becomes true of you. It's, 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 it's like, like marriage, right? You, you come together in marriage. Uh, what, 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 what the groom has is now yours, and what you have is now the groom's, right? That, that wonderful exchange of the gospel. We come into this union, this, that's what theologians call it, the union with Christ. We come into this marriage with Christ where we're grafted in and what do we bring we bring our sin to Jesus what is ours is his and what is his is ours he gives to us his forgiveness and his resume right his righteousness Um, so if you're in Christ right you are complete you're you are Perfect. You have fulfilled your highest destiny as a human being created in the image of God. In, in Christ, friends, you are the most fully activated human being you can be. I snuck away for a few days last week. Um, still did some work. I was still doing work, but 
uh, I snuck away and did a little fishing as well. And uh, I'm a fly fisherman, a passionate fly fisherman. And I was fishing on uh, Rush Creek, and I, I hooked a, a beautiful brown trout that was uh, a big fish for the, for the creek. Um, and I managed to get him to the net, and I wanted to see him. Um, and so I gently reached in and, 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 and held him. Um, and, and, of course, the moment you take a fish out of the water, you know what happens, right? That as they start gasping, right, and straining and, and flopping around uh, uh, because they're not made for the air. And I don't do that for long. I just want to see the, how beautiful they are, right? Uh, and as I, I gently release him back into the water, it's like this magical transformation, right? This, this thing that was just gasping and flopping in my hands. Now, entering the water becomes who he most fully is, right? This powerful, uh, you know, beautiful, effective, shimmering thing of beauty. Well, that's, that's every human being in Christ, right? We, in Christ, we, we, that's where we thrive. That's where we are all that we can and must be. Um, but the world is just telling us, it's pressing you, especially young people, into, into things other. You know, it's saying you need to be in other things, things other than Christ, to find your wholeness, to find your significance, Right? The culture presses you to, to, to find it in your career. Careers are good. But for those of you who've, who are working and for any length of time, you know that, that careers are, are, are uh, come and go. And, and careers are uh, slave masters. Careers punish you as much as reward you. And sometimes the reward isn't so great. You know, 50 years and you, a gold watch. Oh boy. Um, sometimes you're pushed into, this is big, with, uh, certainly in Southern California, pushed to find your wholeness in beauty, right? To, 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 to find your wholeness in a particular body shape or facial structure. But then what happens to your wholeness when somebody comes up along with a, with a better body and a prettier face. You know, as the world defines those things. Uh, we're pushed to find it in success. If I'm just successful, then I'll be significant, then I'll be meaningful. But you know, you know if a, a, a life that is in success uh, is, uh, is really a life where you have put on, been put on the what have you done for me lately treadmill. Right? Success uh, demands more success um, and, 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 and a success-driven life, a life where, that, where you're trying to find wholeness in success isn't a whole life. It's a driven life. Or you can find it, as we, we've already talked about, where sometimes we're pushed to find it in love, right? All of our songs, so much of our popular culture, uh, music, musically, is about love. Finding, 
uh, significance and wholeness in love. But of course, as the world defines love, it's it's gener- it's it's all about the f- the feelings, the emotions wrapped up in love, right? Uh, and all too often when the feelings flag and they always do the lover leaves or if the lover doesn't leave he or she inevitably dies apart from Christ love ends friends if you're not in Christ you're in something else you know what is it what is the something else you're in and I would suggest to you that if that isn't Christ, if whatever you're into for significance and wholeness is not Christ, you're, you're really like that fish out of water. You're gasping, you're, you're flopping, and you're ultimately on a trajectory to dying. We come into Christ, right, we, through the proclamation of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And Paul says, you know, him we proclaim. Uh, But that proclamation has two elements, right? A positive, a negative side and a positive side. The negative side is warning. The positive side is teaching. Warning everyone, teaching everyone. And just to drop to the bottom line, because we don't have uh, a lot of time, what I, what I, believe Paul is communicating here, big picture, is we proclaim Christ through the law and the gospel. Warning and teaching. You know, the law, think about God's law. Um, The Ten Commandments, or Jesus' commentary on the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount, right? The, the, The law of God isn't just rules. It is rules, but it's not just rules. It is a reflection of who God is, right? It's a reflection of his character. And so when you read God's law, um, in that sense that it's a reflection of God's character, it's a warning because you're, you're, it, it's reflecting a goodness, a purity, a holiness, a moral, you know, a moral status, that you and I don't achieve. In fact, that you and I cannot achieve. That's so much of what Jesus' teaching was, right? Is that, you know, you, there's one, you can read the Ten Commandments in a, in a minimalistic way and think that you're okay, sort of like the rich young ruler did. And then, but then read the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, read the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus says, no, you, you don't understand God's law. To just call someone, you know, stupid is, 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 is to break the law of murder, right? It, there's, it, the, the, the holiness is just so uh, um, pure uh, and we don't reach it. And yet that is what we are called to as human beings created in the image of God. That is what God requires of us. And because of our sin... We just don't do it. And that's the warning. Right? We can fool ourselves and look around and, and as we com- look at other people, compare ourselves to other people, think we're pretty good people. 
But then we come up against God and we see ourselves for who we really are. And, and, and what we are are people uh, that are destined for God's judgment. We are lawbreakers. That's the warning. But this shouldn't drive us to despair. It doesn't. Right? Paul says, warning everyone and teaching everyone. Teaching them what? What the law drives them to. Which is a savior. Jesus. Right? Lived the law. Jesus came down and was the perfect human being. He was everything we should be and weren't. Right? He lived the law perfectly. Did it for you. And then as the sinless one who lived this perfect life, he went to the cross as a perfect sacrifice, took your sin on himself, he didn't have any, uh, and, and, was, and was executed for it, took God's judgment for your sin. So you're saved from the judgment of your sin. This is the gospel, right? Uh, and then Jesus was resurrected to be with you and to ensure that you will uh, live and prosper and love beyond your, de- your, your, your dying. So you and I are warned by the law, taught by the gospel, who Jesus is, what Jesus did for you, right? And, 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 and as we're taught, we, 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 we grow in our maturity in him. Uh, that process, this, here's, this is important. It's not Colossians, it's Corinthians. But I want to point out a verse that's really important to us at New Life here. Uh, you know, how does this process happen? How do we become complete and mature in Christ um, as we proclaim him? What is it about the proclamation of Jesus and the warning and the teaching of the gospel what, how does that translate into maturity? 2 Corinthians 3.18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This this is why every week, every Lord's Day at New Life Presbyterian Church, we proclaim Jesus Christ. And and as you see him, right, as as he were as you were taught, we teach the Bible and we and we understand Jesus and what he did, we we see that glory. The glory of the Son of God who comes down and lives for us and dies for us and is raised for us. And as we look at that and meditate upon it, the Spirit begins to transform us into what we are worshiping. We begin to look like what we're uh, looking at. Right? It's a principle in scripture. You see it in the Psalms, in the Old Testament, that we become like what we worship. And the psalmist would say, you know, these people that are worshiping wood and stone, I mean, they become just like it. They're just like wooden stone dummies. And we worship, we worship uh, Jesus and, and the spirit begins to make us like him. Well, what does that look like? 
What does it look like to be mature in Christ, to be complete in Christ or growing in it? Well, Paul in in Colossians sort of describes that in in chapter 3 of Colossians, verses 12 through 16. What does a person complete in Christ look like? She's compassionate, kind, humble, patient, uh, willing uh, and able to bear with other people, forgiving, loving, grateful, possessing a deep inner peace. Where were all these people during the pandemic? It's been a challenge, hasn't it? But think about it. Kind, humble, patient, willing and able to bear with other people, forgiving, loving, grateful, possessing a deep inner peace. You know, David Brooks made a distinction uh, in his book, Road to Character, um, between resume virtues and eulogy virtues, right? And so what he says, is, and, it's, and he's right, is that so much of our life is, is lived for resume virtues, right? You're building a resume. But when you come to the end of your life, when you're dead and people come and eulogize you, they almost never talk about your resume. All the virtues of your resume are sort of they're off the table at your funeral. What are they talking about? Eulogy virtues. They're talking about what kind of person were you? He was a kind man. He, he was a, you know, he was a patient man. He was a giving man. You know, those are the kinds of things you don't put on a resume. These are universal human values. This isn't something you know, Christians just want. I mean, these are universally valued character traits. And, G- and Jesus Christ, the, the Holy Spirit, changes us into that, transforms us into people with these sorts of character traits, these eulogy virtues. If you're not a believer in Jesus, I mean, you ought to look at that list and go, what, what on that list do, do I not want to be? Who doesn't want to be like that? Right? Well, you can be, right? And, we're, and as Christians, the ones who here who are Christians, we are growing into that. Which gets us to finally truth number four. We experience the power of God. Um, I, I don't want you to think, uh, and maybe you have been thinking up to this point, that you know Paul's describing his job here. And therefore, what he's doing is really describing my job, right? That the, Paul was the the pastor of the Colossian church, or the lead, you know, uh, and, and so Paul is speaking to to an ordained person like me. It's my job to proclaim Christ. It's my job to warn everyone and teach everyone, uh, so that uh, we. New life, present everybody mature in Christ. Um, Don't think that. Uh, Again, you need to read on in Colossians. Colossians 3 again. Um, Colossians 3.16, Paul uses the very same words he uses in verses 28 and says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and warning one another in all wisdom. So friends, this isn't 
this is, is, this is not something I do alone. It's something we do at New Life together. We do it for and with one another. Right? Now, I do it principally on Sunday mornings. Right? I have a platform where, where I proclaim Jesus Christ. That's obvious. But you have multiple platforms and you, and you do it in much more extensively uh, during the week, right? You do it in your Bible studies, in your life groups, in your prayer groups. And, and just as you guys do life together as friends and brothers and sisters in Christ, coming together for meals, making phone calls, teaching, warning, teaching. Um, Boy, I, you know, I've told you about my, my covenant brothers that I meet with every other week. I, I can tr- truthfully say those guys do that for me. I mean, when, when we, we come together and we see somebody's off track, we're warned. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I'm brought back, uh, brought back to Jesus. But the good news, and I don't want you to... Here's where I don't want James to get discouraged. Um, as he mentioned, um, or get, you know, you're going to get tired. Listen, the good news, though, is that we don't do this in our own power. We don't do this in our own strength. It's, this is not something you have to sort of screw up your will and, and find the power to do it. God gives us the power to do it. Resurrection power. And that's verse 29. I mean, looked at verse 29 yet, right? But this is where Paul says, for this I toil. Toil. Very strong word. Struggling with all his energy that he, the Lord, powerfully works within me. It's, it's you know, again, that union with Christ. It's, it's us working, but, but, but behind the scenes and really fundamentally and centrally, it's God who is working in and through you. It's both and, right? Um, here, I'll close real quickly, but this is important. Um, I'm indebted to the work here of Dick Lucas. I, I hope you know Dick Lucas, wonderful British preacher. Uh, wrote a great commentary on Colossians. And he, 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 um, he says, you know, verse 29 shows us a lot about how the power of God works in our lives. Um, and, and he asks and answers three questions. And I'll give it to you really, it's really quick. First, he asks, how do you appropriate God's power? Right? How, do you, how do you get it? And, and, and Lucas says, well, you know, look at verse 29. It's not so much about believing. We don't get it so much by believing, but by working. Right? He, he, Lucas said, and I, I agree with him, that Paul would not have said that power for God's service is received by faith alone. Now, Paul certainly said, and we stand on the fact that salvation, our, our salvation, is, is received by faith alone. It is all God's work. But power, once saved, the power for, for you and me serving Jesus is received as we serve, as we toil. Think about, I mean, the, 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 the easy example, I suppose, is Peter when, when Jesus invites him to come walk on the water. 
Now he could sit in the boat and, and wait around for, for, for God to send down his power on high that gives him the power to walk on water. But it, that's, that's not how it works, right? He had to throw his leg over uh, the, the side of the boat and gingerly place his foot on the water. And that's when the power came. Right? He had to step out of the boat. If you're to experience God's power, friends, you must be about his work. Quote, quoting Dick Lucas, God gives his power to workers. Second, how do you experience God's power? What does it feel like? Um, if you're like me, I tend to think if I am going to be invested with the resurrection power of God, then it's, I, it will be unmistakable. You know, it's got to be this supernatural, ecstatic, uh, k- kind of transcendent experience or feeling. Um, actually, uh, there's none of that in Paul here, right? It, what, we experience God's power as we struggle, as we toil and struggle. The Greek word translated struggling here is, is the Greek word agonizomai from which we get, of course, agonize. Um, And and Lucas puts it pretty bluntly. He says, uh, for Paul, it was agony rather than ecstasy to do this work properly. How do we experience God's power? We experience it in hard, agonizing work. And here's, I'm so thankful that that David and Erwin are here uh, because, boy, you know, that's one of the, one of the great privileges I have of being on the committee of mission to the world is, you know, I come together in those meetings in Atlanta and, and we hop around the world often by zoom. And we're talking to, you know, uh, Victor Naka in Africa and, um, the other IDs all around the world. And then, and then we talk to, to, to David, he comes on and, and what you, what you hear is just so much hard work, so much struggle, um, so much opposition, and yet, and yet, there's power there, right? It's that's that's where you that's where you experience it. This gets to the third question: How do you recognize God's power? How do you know it when you see it? Well, of course, again, I, I you think God's free to do what He wants. I mean, He could. He could exercise his power without human agents, you know, you know, blow up the pulpit. Um, but, but he generally doesn't do that, right? You recognize God's power. Well, you see God's power at work when you see God's servants working. Nothing mystical, nothing magic. Again, listen, God takes this world seriously, uh, and He takes you seriously, and 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 so He He gets down and empowers you and me to get down in the trenches and to do His work because that's where Jesus went down into the trenches. Don't think, Christian, that just because you don't see or feel God's power at work in you doesn't mean it isn't. Again, I, you know. David, listening to David talk about, you know, the challenges presented in Poland as these 
uh, you know, U- Ukrainian refugees are pouring uh, out of the country and, you know, our missionaries are overwhelmed and we're scrambling to figure out what do we do and where do we get the resources and what do we do with the resources that are coming in. And, 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 and David's exhausted. Yeah, I mean, you can tell he is. All the, all the, 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 these guys are all working, working hard. But the point is they're working. You're still there, right? God's servants are at work here and around the world. To see Christians at work is to see God at work. So friends here at New Life, remember our vision. Remember our aspirational goal to to present everyone mature in Christ. And may God give us uh, the power to do just that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Um, Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your law, which drives us to Jesus. Thank you that you are transforming us into his image. Thank you that you are transforming us into obeyers of God's law as we increasingly become transformed into the image of Jesus. Lord, help us to present everyone mature in Christ. May that fuel our desire to grow here and may it fuel our desire to go out beyond these walls to find the people that you love and are calling. Give us a passion. Give us the power to do that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.